Paradise in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 4, Episode 1, starring the Rolling Stones, originally aired on October 10th, 1978. Hello and welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Keith. How are you? I am well. How excited are you to finally made it to season four? Very excited. Love to hear the music again. Thanks, Christine, for uh, playing us in. Joining us, uh, one of our favorite third chairs, it's our good buddy Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, guys. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday and happy season four, my friend. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the cast is really in place here. There is no change in cast from last year as far as main cast is concerned. Is it comfortable? Is it nice? Is it a good feeling to come in not having to, I guess, scrutinize a new person? Pretty settled in, yeah. Awfully comfortable. Yeah, and this is the last year we're going to have comfort for quite some time. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) We also had a new addition to the writing staff. Walter Williams, who created Mr. Bill, is now full-time writer on the staff. Good. Yeah, sounds like a good thing for me. I'm like the only one that ever likes Mr. Bill. And there was sadly a death in in the time since we've recorded last. Fran Lee, the uh, costume designer, passed away at 81. So this is the person who was responsible for so many of the pieces we're seeing here, including most likely Primat Conehead's apron. Um oh. Longtime partner Eugene Lee passed away back in February. The costumes in Saturday Night Live are such a huge part of the show, and that these great characters are sometimes recognized immediately just by what they're wearing. My mind really quickly went to the uh, Best Drunk Brothers and their hideous, garish outfits. That was terrific. Yeah, sometimes it can really make a sketch. Everybody always looks good. And yeah. uh, it, it's by, uh, certainly by now at this point, as we sit and watch these over and over and over, episode to episode. But certainly if there was anything wrong with it, we would have complained about it by now, is I guess <laughs> what I mean to say. And the fact yeah. that it's that, that part of the show is such a non-issue, uh, mm-hmm. I think, speaks volumes unto itself. And if and when we mention costumes, it's usually in, in a positive light. Yes, absolutely. Now, an interesting thing, um, I don't know if this is true. I saw it in an interview with a cast member, but also um, in, in a, 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 a tribute to, to Lee that was posted somewhere, that uh, the antennas that the bees have with the balls on the end that uh, are always swinging, apparently she and her father may have actually been the ones to sort of invent that as it didn't really exist prior and it was something said that if she had patented, if they had patented that idea, um, they'd be multimillionaires because the swinging antennas are everywhere now. Yeah, that's like a uh, that's a generic costume staple. So tonight's hosts are the uh, Rolling Stones. You know, by most metrics, I think the Rolling Stones are seen as really the second biggest rock band behind the Beatles. I know there's arguments for other bands, but I mean, genuinely speaking, it's Beatles Stones. I think so. That's like the uh, the, the big two that people say that uh, everything else branches off of. Again, subjective, controversial statements, but certainly uh, at the very least, I would say it's the cliche. Yes. Yeah. So, Mark, what's your uh, what's your knowledge on the Rolling Stones? Are you a huge super fan or are you a passing fan or do you hate their guts or what's up here? I put myself in the passing fan uh, category, not like super huge, but never really mind when they come on. Got a few songs in uh, in rotation on my my iTunes, but not like one of my go to's. The Rolling Stones at this point is uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, Bill Wyman, Charlie Watts. That's kind of the. Um, the longest running incarnation of the Stones. So just to put it in perspective where the Stones were at this point, they had just released their album Some Girls in June of 78. It was kind of released in the midst of this, the commercial success of disco and what I saw referred to as the commercial dawn of punk. This album had a quite a bit of cross-generational appeal. It hit. It was number one album-wise. Four singles were released in the UK. I think three in the States. Miss You, Beast of Burden, uh, Respectable, and Shattered. We hear three of them tonight. Um, all of them hit the top 40 wherever they were released. 
Um, the interesting thing about this album, and I don't, I'm not up on my Stones history, but it seemed like they were kind of, they'd almost bottomed out a little bit before this. Um, and this brought them back and they just haven't left since. I, I think that's the, the basic story of the album. I'm sure Stones fans will know the, the story better there, but that seems to be what it was. I know. Yeah. The, uh, they, I was reading about it a little bit today. They had a fall off, uh, for, a smidge there before this album because like you said there was hot new music there was disco and punk we now go to the cold open we have dan as a classic radio announcer along with howard shore's orchestra they're doing an old-time radio performance based on the nbc chimes and it has garrett singing lead and gilda jane and lorraine singing back up it's just a song about what the uh, what the chimes mean and, and the uh, famous nbc chimes mean i love you um, then goes back to Dan as the announcer. He does uh, live from New York. This for me was uh, it wasn't funny, overly funny beyond just the juxtaposition of everybody here in the 1940s. I absolutely loved this. I love the aesthetic. The studio they're in used to be uh, a place where such broadcasts would come from. I, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it, too. It was a very season opening kind of thing. It's almost mm-hmm. ceremonial. And I think you can get away with that on a season premiere, coming out of the gate with something a little more like, hey, good to be back, and w- without it being too zany or corny. I mean, you can do whatever you want with it, of course. It's your big network TV show, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it in this uh, context. No, not at all. They seemed like they were having a lot of fun with it. You know, it's always a good time when Garrett gets to, you know, steal the show with his singing skills. And having the, the the gals all dolled up and doing the, the backup vocals had, yeah. had good energy, had a nice bounce, and it felt like kind of a, a little bit of a special way to kick off season four. We're now off to the intro, and there's been a lot of new uh, images inserted in here, and a lot of the old ones taken away. They're a little quicker, you know, they, they just get like the two poses to show off the personality sort of a thing. Seems a little more muted. This is uh, a very, very New York-centric intro. If you didn't know what city the show was coming from, you definitely know three seconds into this. We're seeing Rockettes and Yankees, some new uh, cast pictures as well that have a very neat 70s, 80s flair to them. I kind of like this intro, Matt. What you thinking? I dig it too, man. You know, uh, as the thousands may recall as well, I, I'm a big fan of that sleazy 70s New York mm-hmm. 42nd Street porno theater vibe. And, uh, I, you know, you can almost smell it a little. I yeah, excitement mixed with urine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> something they used to say about uh, Law and Order is that the main character was New York City. And I, I think that's very much true of Saturday Night Live as well. It's the only cast member that's never left. So we go to the monologue. The home base set has changed. It's uh, less like large and cavernous. It used to look like kind of a barn or like a, a wooden atrium. It's darker again and uh, a lot more cluttered. And, and I like it. This is what I like home base to look like at this stage. It might be subtle. I don't know. I was looking close. But Matt, did you notice the change to home base? I did notice it a little. Yeah, I, I like when it's darker and I like when it's a little tighter. I don't like that big wide Mm-hmm. Uh, shot so much and I, I didn't love them coming down the stairs mm-hmm. do you know what i mean uh, yeah. that seemed awkward but anyway uh yeah it looked good to me so ed koch the then mayor of new york uh future snl host comes up so he makes a joke thanking the world or thanking the country for helping bail new york out that's a joke about the new york city loan guarantee act which was kind of a bailout the department of the treasury gave in august of 78 Koch says how important it is that Saturday Night Live has chosen to do the show in a place like New York instead of Pittsburgh or Newark or Hollywood. He then says he's there to honor a special person in the cast, and he brings out John Belushi. Koch gives Belushi an official certificate of merit for his work in Animal House. Belushi's really disappointed that he didn't get the key to the city and uh, refers to Dolly Parton getting it. He calls her some blonde with a rack who got one. (laughs) (laughs) despite living in a trailer in la belushi then crumples up the uh, certificate and throws it down on the ground koch fortunately has a second one in his coat pocket belushi laments uh, about staying on tv and and what he could be doing elsewhere he then goes on to say how great animal house is and koch says he actually hadn't seen the movie so the two 
decide to go check out the late night movie theater to see Animal House. Uh, you know, this is a tad longer than the ideal monologue, but I really think it worked. Ed Koch, I don't know too much about his politics. I think he could have really been a performer. Some have actually criticized him for being too much of a performer at times. John was over the top, but not at all over the top for Belushi. Um, I, I thought he was great. This is the best I've seen Belushi in a while. And I thought the real-life situation was fun. I enjoyed this monologue. I agree. I liked it, too. I was a little surprised that the Rolling Stones weren't involved in some way, the way they kind of positioned them as, yeah, they're the, the hosts of the show and your musical guests. It's just the Rolling Stones. Uh, and then to have him come out, I thought was uh, a bit strange. But anyway, uh, I, I thought it was a bit long, but I did really enjoy Belushi in it. And yeah, other, other than it's slightly tedious length, it was, a, it was a thumbs up for me. Uh, I was a little worried when I saw the mayor come out to start. I, I get it's like a, a big episode, you know, kicking off the season. But Generally, my history with politicians being on the show hasn't been the strongest. Uh, he had a good little dig when he was talking about, you know, how Saturday night's contribution helped uh, New York get to where it is, even if it was an insignificant one. So mm-hmm. there's a little chuckle there. But then, yeah, when Belushi comes out, it did bring the energy up. Um, you know, it was a clearly a big opportunity for him to get one of his but no's in. Which yeah. is a fan favorite. Uh, all in all, it was it was pretty good and and better than I was expecting when I first saw the that they were bringing a politician in to get things rolling. Ed Koch is one of those people, but he's not. He doesn't fit that mold. Yeah. He's pretty comfortable out there. I don't know a shit ton about his politics either, but um, I, I certainly knew who he was and that he was mayor. Next uh, sketch. It's a pre-tape. It's the auto scent internal combustion deodorizer. Jane pulls up in a woody station wagon. Gilda, playing her neighbor Pat, greets her and smells lilacs. She wonders if Jane has a new perfume, but Jane says no, it's not perfume, and shows her a spray bottle called Auto Scent Internal Combustion Deodorizer. So this is a spray you put in your carburetor, and it'll make your car smell very nice. It, uh, it has a lilac and pine forest scent, among others. Gilda then goes around the back and smells the exhaust pipe. This was a wonderful, another wonderful sketch with, you know, your typical housewife talking about a typical product that's just slightly off. And the thought of these stinky exhaust pipes getting uh, deodorizers and such uh, really, really made it for me. I thought this was a lot of fun. Jane and Gilda were fantastic seeing them take apart the engine to put the, the product in was awesome. It was a, a nice, silly little product placement. And I, I do like the absurd ideas. I mean, this idea is absurd. The home run for me is Gilda getting down there by the exhaust with a big smile on her face to take a big whiff of the fumes. Uh, that was worth it. Yeah, when Jane, you know, just whips around and is like, oh, I can bust down a carburetor in no time flat, but you don't have to to use this. And then when Lorraine's on her hands and knees with her face buried in the exhaust, I had a really good laugh at that. We now have the Tomorrow Show. Uh, Dan is back as Tom Snyder. He starts the show off by talking with someone who might be tapped to replace him. If the network does decide to replace him, he's going to take the whole crew and he'll do the show from his living room if he wants. He then introduces his guest, who is someone who is familiar to anyone with a hi-fi set. It's Mick Jagger. We then see Mick Jagger sitting in the guest seat wearing what I call a wonderful ice cream suit. Snyder asks why the name Jagger. Jagger says it was his father's name. Snyder jumps, kind of jumps abruptly forward at Jagger and asks him about getting, uh, get off my cloud. Um, and his own desire to tell people to get off his cloud. Conversation then goes into a bit about Jagger putting a pool and a barbecue in his backyard and how a lot of celebrities just come over to beat the heat. Snyder then tries some of uh, Mick Jagger's moves because Snyder says, I can boogie just like the next guy. Then they start talking about uh, dressing in women's clothing and talking about the negative things they've heard about each other and how they actually do like each other. Jagger is then fascinated by the variety of colors in Tom Snyder's hair. I really got a kick out of this. I, I, it'd be hard for me not to enjoy Dan's Tom Snyder. The dancing was funny as hell. The intro was his most realistic Tom Snyder intro to date. I thought Jagger was great in this. Um, love the line about the hi-fi set. Um, and just 
the banter between these two was fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. I agree. I really think Dan ran away with this performance-wise. He was terrific as Tom this time. The laugh was uncanny. The only I, I don't remember him smoking so fake. I always find that annoying when I see fake smoking uh, on television or film, but whatever. Uh, and I thought Mick seemed really stoked. There, was, there yeah. was something about him that was just really slightly behind. Uh, but he looked like he was having a good time, but he, he seemed a little out of it. But yeah, it was it was a fun sketch. I liked it. Yeah, Dan's always good as uh, Snyder. You know, this is, I think, maybe the fourth, the third or fourth time I've seen him do it. And it's <laughs> it just seems like it's getting better every time. And And yeah, like you said, Mick seemed really, they both seemed really happy to be there. And I've noticed this already through through most of the skits so far. There's a, a really up energy. Like everyone seems really excited to be there and, and pretty pumped to have the stones there. And, and there was definitely, yeah, the, the back and forth was really good. And the dancing was hilarious. And we're going to get to see Jagger over the years in, 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 in other sketches as well. Jagger does not, he doesn't make himself a stranger, which is neat. We now go to what might have been my father's favorite sketch, the Nerds Fridge Repair, um, the Norge, it's also called, written by uh, Rosie Schuster and Ann Beats with a lot of input, input from the cast. So Todd and Lisa enter the kitchen as Mrs. Loopner is empty in the fridge. The Norge is is dying. Um, Lisa got a letter from Boris Spatsky, the Russian uh, chess champion. Todd takes it from her and reads it as if it's critical of her. But it's actually a nice letter about being uh, president of the chess club. Todd is running against her for the presidency of the chess club and has a version of Greece, the Greece theme, as his own theme. Mrs. Loopner then asks, then takes off and asks Todd and Lisa to let the repairman in. Todd and Lisa there by themselves. He tries to look at her chest, and then, of course, he noogies her. The repairman comes in, played by Dan, and he's got a short shirt with his belly showing. He admires the Norge. He turns around to fix the fridge, and like all great refrigerator repairmen in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, his ass crack is hanging out. Aykroyd casually puts his pencil in the crack to to uh, store it, and the camera misses that on purpose. We then get to see later him take it out and give the pencil to Mrs. Loopner. The fridge is unfixable. It is then taken away as Todd and Lisa and Mrs. Loopner dance to Todd's version of the Grease theme. So background on this one, Dan used to do that bit a little bit regularly. Uh, Neil Levy talks about the story of the first time he smoked marijuana. He was having a panic attack, but Dan talked him down by uh, pulling his pants down and fixing the radiator with his ass crack hanging out. Um, It's also been noted that I think uh, it was Rosie Schuster said he used to just do this for kicks hanging around the house and stuff. Censors, of course, were worried about the amount of ass crack Dan could show, and uh, they did not want him to do the gag with the pencil. When the cameras were rolling, Aykroyd did pretty much what he wanted to. Like I said, Sketch My Dad used to talk about it makes a few highlight reels. Um, there is some of the usual nerd charm, but Todd is starting to get a tad annoying to me. And it seems like he's over speaking a lot of Lisa's stuff. Um, whether this is intentional or not, I don't know. Jane is still awesome as Mrs. Loopner. Dan was funny, but this whole sketch to me was really just one note joke. And the rest felt really, really sloppy. It's also another Bill Murray character who's singing into a microphone that makes three now. And it's getting to be a tad much. I do love the bit with Dan. The audience was all in. The reaction was awesome. But even from the last time I saw this, about seven or eight years ago, uh, to be honest, this sketch was a bit of a disappointment on this watch. I agree with you uh, completely on that. I don't. First of all, I don't like these two as much as you do in general. I do like Jane as yeah. the mom. But uh, I wrote, I find uh, Todd's teasing and Gilda's voice are both kind of getting a little obnoxious uh, on me. They are kind of they're they're really turning it up to 11 i guess now that they're uh, probably comfortable in the characters and know what's gonna get the laughs and they're just pedal to the metal on it but it's just a little too much for me i I wish they would pull it back a little they're good at it i just find it annoying i mean it's too on the sometimes i think they're too on the nose too it's almost too realistic and they just kind of piss me off like i want to be with these people also tang and egg salad sounds like a nasty ass lunch like i don't mind one or the other but i don't know something about those together the realism is is a bit of getting to be a bit of a problem They, they they nail these characters so much that 
these are the kids that you understand maybe why someone would shove them in a locker because <laughs> they get a little hard on the head. Yeah. And uh, the, the lead up, the, the, the start does feel a little over long before getting to the Dan bit, which is really like the, the highlight. Uh, outside of, of course, like you guys both said, Jane is the mom. I find usually steals the show for me in these nerd sketches. Yeah. Um, she really nails it. But I, I'm not gonna lie. I like, I like the dumb jokes and and the little hanging fruit, as as we've noted before. I had a, a pretty good laugh at, at Dan's whole bit. As soon as I saw him come in with the shirt too short, I started having flashbacks <laughs> to, like, you know, I've worked on uh, some new construction sites with a lot of contractors and stuff, and you do see a lot of ill-fitting clothes and a lot of ass cracks. So, <laughs> This this hit home for me at, at that point. It, it felt like it took a little long to get there. But uh, when it got there, I was happy with how it how it landed. And I mean, I have weird hips and belts don't work on me. So if I don't have suspenders, I do often veer into acroid territory here. So it uh, <laughs> maybe I'm laughing at myself on these ones. <laughs> Our next bit is the Olympia Cafe written by Don Novello. So it starts with Lorraine as head waiter Sandy on the phone, and she's doing all the shtick that Pete usually does, the cheeseburger, cheeps, and Pepsi. Gilda, uh, as a customer, wonders why the staff seems so sad, and Sandy tells her that uh, everyone's sad because Pete is coming back from Greece. Pete has been gone in order to collect a inheritance that his uncle left him. Unfortunately, the inheritance was only 400 bucks, not enough to cover the flight over and back. In Pete's absence, Sandy fixed up the place and redecorated. Bill's character of Nico did a really nice mural of Pete riding a donkey up a mountain to his family home in Greece. Garrett, as a waitress, this is kind of the start of Garrett's uh, eventual drag period, takes an order. Dan serves uh, customers who are Ron Wood and uh, Charlie Watts, uh, who are sitting at the counter. Watts is definitely enjoying something. He spends most of the sketch with a very sly grin. Uh, Bill Murray comes over the large pepper mill and he and Ronnie Wood have a bit of a, um, a thing about Bill not knowing when to stop. Pete comes back in. He's annoyed that he'd gone all the way to Greece and the inheritance was bad, but he's also annoyed with the changes and just the overall state of the restaurant. He kicks everyone out. Gilda, the customer who was kicked out, runs back in to say that his car, which contained his wife and his luggage, was stolen. A completely broken and devastated Pete whips nico with a menu i believe so this sketch uh much more understated humor than we're used to on this show i think the whole idea was great it it didn't make me laugh a lot but i think i smiled through this whole sketch both times i watched it there's no real resolution here now if this was a standalone sketch i think that would be terrible but as part of this is as this is part of a series i maybe forgave it a bit more Cast is absolutely stellar in their performances, and I have to say that the look on Belushi's face when he came back in as Pete and saw all the changes that had happened and just knowing what he'd gone through and then what he was (laughs) going through was absolutely awesome. I really enjoyed elements of this, but again, not a lot of, you know, belly laughs at all. Yeah, this feels almost like um, a scene out of a sitcom where something comes before and something comes after and, and not getting all that feels a little weird, but yeah, there, there's a couple of chuckles for me The the, the little stick man of Pete on the otherwise <laughs> very nicely done mural uh, with the big red Pete pointing at him, riding his donkey up the mountain. I thought was pretty funny, but yeah, uh, also stifled ire is it's like a good, like prog rock band name. I'm going to sit on that one. The writing does feel like like it doesn't quite know where it's going or it's just sort of sitting in a moment. Like the, the structure of this feels a little strange, but the performances are great, like you mentioned. And, and I found this going through most of the episode, like the energy is really there. But maybe like the the actual like pointed structure in the writing is, is maybe a little loose. Yeah, uh, it was it was enjoyable. One thing I noticed is that uh, just first thing it's like okay now we were at the uh the the tomorrow show and we're at the Olympia now and I just uh, we had the nerds they're really uh riding on the recurring character recurring sketch thing so far this episode I kind of liked to I was kind of hoping for something new it didn't go unnoticed I I wouldn't say it was 
problematic or anything, but I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing, you know, I, I want to see something new, I guess. Uh, and I haven't got it yet this mm-hmm. episode. I do think Bill Murray's body language is terrific. And I loved Lorraine at the counter. I thought the sketch kind of took a while. First, I was emotionally confused by the uh, by the Belushi segment, but uh, but I came around on it. So I don't know if it was my favorite because you're right, it did seem a little subdued. I like the uh, the pepper part, but um, yeah, I, I think it was okay. We're now off to weekend updates. We've got a new set here. Clocks on the wall, fancy wooden wooden desk, and of course phones and maps, and a slightly larger screen between the uh, anchors. Bill Murray is now at the desk. Before going into it too much, we were all disappointed with Aykroyd. We all felt it worked best with Jane, but now as they're committed to giving her a partner, how did it feel going in, fellas, to see Bill Murray sitting there instead of Dan Aykroyd? For me, it was a, a nice change. I think they used the, the different approaches really well. I always found Dan a little, I don't know, like he didn't want to be there. Uh, and, and continuing the Murray character as he was, but pivoting him into the new, actually as an anchor instead of just the, the Hollywood guy, mm-hmm. I think works as um, against Jane's character. And, and it made her seem even more acknowledged as the serious anchor that she's, I think, earned the the respect of over the last couple of years. And yeah. um, the way they played back and forth off each other and how he was like, you know, just throwing away the the news items that weren't really getting to him. And she's just glaring at him and the, the point, counterpoint, all of it. I, I feel like this is a good change of direction for a weekend update. Got me nervous, uh, you know, when I see somebody else rolling out, I'm like, okay, Dan's gone, but now we got somebody else, just fucking let Jane do it, fuck, why yeah. does there have to be two, That's my, that was my immediate reaction, why does there have to be two? Yeah, I don't know, they're committed to giving her a partner for some reason, it was not needed, so let's uh, let's go through this and check it out, so this episode is brought to us by Gotex, it's a sanitary napkin for your nanny, Dan Aykroyd has been promoted to station manager, she hopes he does a better job as manager than he did as anchor, ha ha. Uh, Bill is introduced and says he's reading a lot of new info about hard news, and he's really excited. He starts to talk about some uh, issues going on in the Middle East, and he ties uh, Middle East diplomacy, tries to make an analogy to Hollywood negotiations. It affects him as such. Bill can't read the news because of that first story, so he skips over a story about the Congress and one about cancer. And then he gets annoyed about the selection process for a new pope. He said, didn't we do this a month ago? He asked Jane if she has anything interesting over there, and Jane's annoyance is palpable. Jane notes the papers are on strike, so she corrects a few mistakes in the news that have been going around. And then Jane and Bill go into a point-counterpoint about the Equal Rights Amendment ratification uh, being delayed until 1982. Just a note, this is an issue we've been seeing develop on this show since we started watching. So Jane drives it into Bill the way she did into Dan. Bill decides he really can't argue with her, and he agrees with her. And he wonders how he can help. Now that she doesn't have a foe, Jane seems very disappointed. Bill does a story about the morning after pill being tested and showing good results. He then pulls out a pack and says it's good for three uses and throws it at Jane and says, here's a whole year supply for you. Roseanne Rosanna Dana is brought in to talk about discotheques in response to a Richard Federer letter about Studio 54. Roseanne went to 54 to check it out, and she noticed a, a fashion designer dancing in weird shoes because he'd gotten a blister. So she does a bit about his blister and Band-Aid and how disgusting it was and ends the story. Jane asks if that's all she has and wonders if there are other things she'd like to report about about Studio 54. She talks about the, uh, the sexual freedom of the place. And then compares Studio 54 to Jane's ear. Pretty on the outside, but dark with weird stuff on the inside. This uh, weekend update was was definitely a breath of fresh air. Bill Murray being just your uncle who's now given a show to host is almost what I felt. Your, your goofy uncle and Jane trying to keep it uh, a serious news show really works for me. Uh, I, I do prefer this new setup, and I know that Ackroyd does eventually get worked in for point counterpoints. So, uh, yeah, maybe not the best weekend update I've ever seen, but certainly a step in the right direction. I don't know how much longevity they're going to have with this dynamic between Jane and Bill, but it definitely works better than what we were getting last season uh, with Jane and Dan and Bill. 
I had some really good laughs. Most of it was Jane's reacting to Bill, like him setting it up by being a doofus and, and her just being baffled as to how to move forward. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. She did some really good work with her face. Roseanne, Rosanna Dan was all right. I, I can see me getting sick of her fairly quickly uh, down the line, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, all in all, this was a, a, a step up. Not, not a giant leap, but definitely a step up. I like how the new set looks. It does look a little more like real-time newsy. Jane's hair is a little different, uh, so they're doing that. Uh, I guess, you know, they're getting with the times. We're moving on here. It's 1978. Uh, Disco is broke. Punk is out, and we're talking about it. And, uh, you know, so there's definitely aesthetic changes happening uh, in the world, let alone on the set. The Bill Murray character... I mean, I don't, my initial impression is I absolutely hate that you're doing your correspondent character as the anchor, but if you're going to do it fine, I do think he needs to settle down. It's okay to have a bit of a manic energy. To me, this read as obnoxious cocaine energy, flinging papers and the, you know, the, the, the fast, loose talk and the stream of consciousness. It would really benefit if it was dialed back. Because I found it annoying and distracting. Jane was fine, and I still liked Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana, and I liked how even at the end she got the shit on Jane a little. Poor Jane. So now we go to a series of performances by the Rolling Stones. Lorraine, looking really cool, and uh, I can't help but notice disco hair when I see it now, Matt. Um, She uh, comes out to introduce them from the top of the stairs. So they perform uh, Beast of Burden, single hit number eight on Billboard, and then Respectable, also from Some Girls. I couldn't see anywhere hit the uh, U.S. charts. And then uh, Shattered from Some Girls hit 31. My thoughts on these songs. Okay, I don't like Beast of Burden as a song, but I thought they did a well, a good performance. Respectable, I, I do like. It's kind of punk with a dash of Chuck Berry. I really enjoyed it. Shattered, it's either the audio or maybe the uh, the transfers we've experienced, you know, going into digital and stuff. But it did not do this song any favors. I could barely hear it. Sounds very punky, and, and the performance gave that sort of vibe. It felt more stones and more sort of sex pistols in a way, but not in a good way. It was like a sloppy, not in like uh, this is pure anarchy way, but in a this is we're not really prepared for this. Uh, I was really disappointed by the third one, which would be Shattered. Uh, so Beast of Burden, song I don't really like, but good performance. Respectable song I do like, good performance, and Shattered, just a, a really a complete mess. The sound quality was a little janky, but it's also a live performance from the 70s, so you got to kind of make room for that. Uh, it was refreshing to see like a big rock and roll band with big rock and roll band energy on Saturday Night Live. I'm sure there'll be more said about this shortly, but we've seen a lot of Curious choices musically. So to kick off season four to get the Rolling Stones, I think was uh, was a, a great get. And yeah, when Lorraine announces them, her excitement is palpable. Like you can see she's pumped. Mick Jagger's like chaos gremlin energy while he's like running all over the stage and like, throwing parts of his clothes at the other band members while they're playing and running into each other. Uh, it was it was good energy. That the sound quality and the performances all up and down. I overall enjoyed it, but yeah, by the end, you know, even even Mick's voice seemed like it was starting to go. It seemed like they maybe had been having too good of a time all day for by the time they got to this performance. I'm always a little like hesitant when they get into multiple songs in a row. You know, like I, I really like the format where they break it up and you get one song about a third of the way and then another song near the end. So doing three in a row is already a little much for me when watching a sketch comedy show, but uh, overall it was it was pretty good. It definitely got real sloppy near the end, though. You're right about that, Mark. I pretty much agree with you across the board. Uh, I do think that they're all fucked. They're definitely fucked. Uh, I, I was keeping an eye on it because you know I'm looking for Keith, uh, not you, Keith Richards. One thing I did note: I did not like the way the band was shot. The the, the lighting. There's way, the band is way too shadowy behind Mick uh, to the point where I felt like they almost disappeared sometimes. His voice did, he was croaking, man, by uh, when they were getting toward the end of it. Uh, I did note that Lorraine looked ready to party. 
And that it's weird that she had a mic. Why didn't they just have a boom or something? Whatever. Who cares? I wanted to hear Miss You just because I knew it was some girls. I knew they were on the here promoting some girls. So it was like, I wanted to hear a cool, smooth, uh, like as I fantasized about what this performance would be in my head before it came on. It was Miss You and it was not this train wreck in a good way performance that they ended up giving. A Beast of Burden is not my favorite Rolling Stones song, but uh, it's a, I know it's a bit of a hit. I find it a bit of a slog. I'm not really a fan of this sort of bundled set together. But you know what? It's super cool that they got the Rolling Stones. You mm-hmm. know how much I shit on the booking of the music. So I, you know, you got to step back and be like, what a fucking cool band to get on the show. Now you're talking. This is this <laughs> is a universally accepted act that's uh that's just going to be super over across the board with uh any of the audiences you're looking for right now so huge landing maybe this is the way they wanted like okay we're going to do our three songs and here they are and we're going to do them at this time be like okay <laughs> you know you uh-huh. just whatever you guys need you are the quote-unquote hosts of the show i mean they didn't host the show they were it was just a hostless show yeah. but whatever Mick tonguing Ron was uh, ugly. Oh, such an ugly sight. <laughs> and uh, I really liked Shattered at the end there. I thought it was actually wonderfully chaotic. It was super punky. It's about as punky as you're ever going to see the Rolling Stones just barely on the rails, smashing through a song. You know, to a point, I think that's just where they are. And they they, they they know the tide is turning. They're watching it and they are responding. And so they let themselves go out there and just beat that song into a pile of shit. And mm-hmm. I was into it. We're now off to Sushi by the Pool. This is a Tom Schiller reel. It's a, uh, a bizarre piece featuring Desi Arnaz Jr. Nice to see that nice young man back, as Matt once referred to him. Stephen Keats, Carrie Fisher, and Hal Holbrook. And this is taking place down in Los Angeles, Hollywood area in the hills. A bunch of stars sitting around a pool playing chess and batgam, and then they're talking business and pleasure as a few little tremors start. Now, Desi Arnaz notices the tremor and gets a little weir- uh, little worried but it's laughed off as just a standard thing that happens. Then we have a larger earthquake starting, and we see Hal Holbrook running down a hill in a panic. Then we get a panic freeze frame on Desi Jr. and a bunch of newspapers in the pool, and the show cuts, I guess implying that all these celebrities were killed by this crazy earthquake. This was my least favorite Schiller reel, but definitely not bad. It was really nice to see Carrie Fisher. We'll see her again soon. Um, nice to see uh, Desi Arnaz again. And I laughed audibly, probably harder at Hal Holbrook running down the hill warning the others than I did at anything else this uh, episode. Yeah, Holbrook running down the hill was was a good laugh. But for me, the best laugh was when Carrie Fisher tried to drink from like a water fountain while the tremor was hitting. And the water was just spraying her all over the face. And she just had like... Like nothing weird was happening. Smile on her face with her mouth just open, just getting waxed with water. That was my biggest laugh of the whole episode. Uh, I did weirdly want like a really bad cut to like miniatures of those houses on the hill on the stilts falling down for some reason. They kept cutting like or the angles. The camera kept showing those houses in the background. And when the earthquakes started happening, like I was expecting to, something to happen with those for some reason. So that distracted me a little bit. Yeah, all in all, this was this was all right. But for me, yeah, Carrie Fisher drinking from the fountain, biggest laugh of the episode. It was okay. It was a little weird, uh, of course. Uh, and it just, I just kept for some, you know, the the, the party and the whole thing. It, it had, uh, I should say, uh, Boogie Nights. The movie had vibes yeah. of this, but you know, it just made me think about Boogie Nights, and then I just wanted to watch Boogie Nights, and it didn't really hold my attention, to be honest. Yeah. It made me think of BoJack Horseman. Oh um, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But now that you see, but now that you say Boogie Nights, I think of that as well. Decadence for the sake of decadence. Yeah. Yeah, this almost feels like a reverse slice of life compared to like all the the gritty on the street New York videos that yeah. we used to get. This is the elite, but like riffing on it. But yeah, I don't know. It was a weird vibe. We now have a White House segment. Uh, Bill Murray as Walter Cronkite announces Jimmy Carter at the White House. And we see Jimmy Carter, and he's talking about the Camp David Accords and how successful they were. 
He's decided to bring people together as it seems to make him more popular in the polls. In this instance, he's brought together Lennon and McCartney to devise a framework for the reunion of the Beatles. And as Belushi is John and Bill is Paul. And as they talk, they're cutting to shots of prominent Washington folks with little to no reaction, except for one guy who's seen laughing. Bill's Paul is dreadful, though he looks a bit like him. John's John is okay, but it sounds to me more like George, and he looks nothing like John. I wish this was better. Yeah, I do find it interesting that they're doing this Beatles sketch on the episode that they have the Rolling Stones on. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But they take some good digs. I mean, historically, I've not ever been the biggest Beatles fan. So it's kind of fun to see them take a couple little digs there. But yeah, the, the impersonations are pretty rough. <laughs> Dan's Carter's good. The, the Paul and John, a little janky. And I don't know if that was like intentional to add an extra la- layer of dig after their campaign to get them on the show. But yeah, it falls a little flat. Terrible impressions. Yeah, yeah. terrible. Uh, I'm glad Linda at least got a little kick in the butt uh, since Yoko was getting a kick in the butt. I'm fine with both ladies, and I think Yoko is underappreciated, quite frankly. But whatever, it was a funny setup that didn't go anywhere. And I, yeah, I really hated Bill's Paul. And I could close my eyes and pretend that Belushi was Lennon. Well, uh, just wait until we get Dana Carvey's Paul. That is a work of art. <laughs> So now we go to just a quick promo for Battle of the Network T's and A's. And this is a special. Um, it's it's parodying the old Battle of the Network stars where we see women on TVs. Uh, it's really close-ups of their chests and rear ends as they're doing sports. This is another shot at Fred Silverman, a lot of the ABC content he developed while he was over at the helm. I can see why this one wouldn't fly today. Yeah, one note joke that doesn't really overstay its welcome. Um, I had a chuckle again, low, low hanging fruit. Uh, I did, did find it interesting. Uh, Jane took a shot earlier in Weekend Update at the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, and they showed back up in this at, at the end. So it was just, I was wondering how much in the zeitgeist everyone's talking about that. Yeah, I didn't care for it at all. It was just a bit of quick filler. Uh, I, I didn't really think too much of it. I wouldn't be surprised if Liz passed it on my late night TV show. Uh, but, it, you know, nothing landed with me. It was just there. We're now off to Danger Probe. This is the second and final Danger Probe we get to see on, on Saturday Night Live. It's hosted by Dan's Dave Mabel. And he talks about a situation in Paraguay where secret police are, are keeping people detained for torture purposes. So we then cut to this dungeon in Paraguay with a bunch of military folk. Belushi comes in as a Harry Krishna and Gilda comes in as a street mime, both of whom are set up for torture. There's a bit of argument over which devices to use. We have Tom Davis, Lorraine is a mad scientist, Bill Murray's a general, and then the danger probe crew comes in and cuts the whole thing off. Like the other danger probe, funny idea, long setup with uh, with no real payoff. Worth noting here is that one of the uh, guards is Pulitzer Prize-nominated financial columnist and future co-star of meatballs russ barnum he's known as the world's foremost corporate historian i feel like that little bit of information you just shared with us is significantly more interesting than this entire sketch was this was a weird chaotic sloppy mess just felt like nobody really knew what they were doing through the whole thing and there's just all these mishmash of ideas thrown together in a blender that they thought was a lot of fun and it seemed like they were having fun doing it but it wasn't fun for me to watch. Chaos. What a mess. Just real end of the show kind of stuff. Like, holy shit. It almost, it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like the premise is almost good. Uh, yeah. I liked Dan and I liked Lorraine in it. And, the, you know, it's not void of some some subtle highlights, but uh, it's just really off the rails and uh, just seems to have been written in some sort of frenzy. Did you guys feel like I watched it and I was like, Belushi is the grounded center one in this sketch. The one who who knows where he's supposed to be and is doing what he's supposed to. And everyone else is like just complete chaos. Yeah. And he's playing like this goofy Harry Krishna character yeah. and he's he's the anchor. It was it was very strange. Yeah, it's not, not what we're used to from him. So the last danger probe, I know you weren't with us, Mark, but Matt, do you remember it was uh Garrett and Michael Palin played two fops that went into a southern bar, and it was 
uh, Al Franken and maybe Belushi. They were like racist hillbillies. I do have vague memories of that, yes, but they are vague. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, it's, it's it was the same thing, and there was this huge wind up, and there was nothing. We actually thought then that they messed up their timing and ended the sketch early, but watching this Danger Probe, it just shows no, they didn't. That was how it was probably meant to be. It's the it's the uh, yeah, it's own je ne sais quoi. Yeah, yeah. So we go to the good nights. It's a happy good night. Everyone is really full of energy. They are excited to be up there and, and finish this episode. Ed Koch does the official good night for everyone. Looked like a happy place to be that night. Rating, the host. Realistically, the Rolling Stones were there for two reasons. To promote their album and to give Saturday Night Live a big name host for the top of the season. I think those things were both accomplished. But what's missing here is a good comic host. And and I think the comedy of the show kind of suffered because there wasn't a host. Ed Koch was a good choice to fill in a blank, but wasn't present enough to really be the de facto host. Jagger was good in the Today Show sketch. Watson Woods were amusing, but inconsequential in the Olympia Cafe sketch. Bill Wyman was not involved in the sketch side at all that I could see. And uh, there were two sketches written that featured Keith Richards that were cut at dress rehearsal because allegedly he was too altered to read the cue cards. Rolling Stones were a huge get, and while in retrospect it's much less of a big deal, uh, at the time I can only imagine the world was buzzing to see this episode. And if they did what they were supposed to do that night, uh, and I think they did, uh, I guess I have to say they're a good host. Yeah, this one feels weird. A lot of times with the host, and sometimes it hurts the episode and sometimes it helps, you end up with sort of a theme or a through line that sort of helps establish a cohesive idea of the show because of the way they play with the host. You know, certain skits will be structured a certain way or they'll just, you know, if they've got a sports person on, it's all sports related. But this felt, yeah, a little like all over the map. And like they were trying to check a lot of boxes because they didn't have a host. Again, as a kickoff to the season, having the mayor of New York come out at the beginning and end makes it feel a little more officially a big thing. And yeah, the Stones are clearly the musical guests, but to call them the host seems like a stretch. You know, I've, we've seen musical guests that weren't hosting that were in as many skits as these guys were. So it, it does feel like a little bit of a weird, like they couldn't figure out who to host to stay on par with the stones. So there's like, yeah. screw it, make them the host too. We already got them. It's a big enough deal. Let's just roll with it. At the end of the day, it does feel like a big episode or a special thing to kick the season off. So hey, I'll give them points for that. Sure. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's a hostless show. There is no host. So when it comes to like ranking the host, if I have to rank the Rolling Stones as a host, they were fucking terrible. If I have to rank Ed Koch as the host, then he was fucking terrible. They're no fault of their own because neither of them performed hostly duties. And yeah, I do think there's something missing in the show when there is no proper host. And I don't think there was a proper host this evening. No, you're right. So looking at the music, I didn't like the first song. Well, I liked how they performed it, but I don't like the song. I liked the second song. Didn't like the third song. The issue here for me is maybe it's the big issue with the Stones performance is these are guys that are at this point used to arenas and stadiums and they're performing kind of in a closet. Mick Jagger looked like a tiger trapped in a little cage. No room for them to move around and do what they do. And the third song definitely suffered from it, uh, apart from, you know, the I'm watching it on a laptop 45 years after and the audio was horrible. But again, it was the Rolling Stones, and they they were all in for their performances. They weren't phoning it in, and this is just the type of thing that a band that size could certainly phone it in for. And musically, they didn't do that. From what I can tell, they did everything right based on what they wanted to do. Problem is the venue, the equipment, perhaps the transfer of formats over the years just didn't work. And uh, yeah. It's 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 a small, small space for such a big, big band. Yeah. Musically, is this the greatest performance in Saturday Night Live history? Most certainly not. A little janky, a little rough. Energy-wise, it's up there. They really were giving it, and, and you could definitely tell Mick Jagger was feeling cagey. Uh, but <laughs> there, there was sort of a chaos, you know, rock and roll, like, 
fuck it, we're having a party vibe going. And I, I feel like that kind of carries through the rest of the show, too. Like, the whole thing seems just really up from jump all the way to the, the good nights. It just feels, like, palpable. Lorraine's introduction is maybe the best part of their performance <laughs> as a single moment in it all. But overall, as, like, this cool show that should have cool bands on, I'm kind of here for this sloppy, weird, janky performance where they seem like they had a couple too many beers and Mick Jagger definitely smoked too many cigarettes that day from the state of his voice. But I don't know. It weirdly works for me. I don't really like, as I mentioned, like three songs in a row, fine. But I can imagine, again, that these guys, maybe they didn't want to hang around. Maybe, I don't know, were they there at the goodbyes? I forget. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were there for the goodbyes, yeah. Okay, so it's not like they were blowing out of there. Uh, but whatever, maybe they wanted to do it all at once. Again, really neither here nor there. Uh, I, I did like the performance for the most part. I thought Beast of Burden was the song that suffered the most from, uh, as Mark said, the janky performance. Uh, but I, I certainly thought the end was uh, enhanced by it, uh, which I guess is, I guess I'm pretty much the opposite of how Keith feels about how the songs went, because I kind of liked it more as it went on and it started to fly a little more off the rails and it did get a little chaotic. As I've already mentioned, this is a huge get for the show. So I'm sure they promoted the hell out of it. And, you know, one of the uh, all-time big rock and roll bands showed up and they gave them a performance that opened your eyes at the very least. That's what they're paid for. So I I consider it a success. Yeah, I think we all do consider it a success, but for different reasons. I think we're all on the same page. (laughs) We're all throwing up in three different categories. So no, this works. This is good. What is the worst sketch of the night, fellas? I got to go with Danger Probe for myself. Too messy, too chaotic, too confusing. It kind of made me a little anxious by the end. I was just like, what is happening? What what are they trying to do here? And it just kind of went off the rails as as a sketch. It doesn't really feel like it was sketched out at all you know so for me that's that's a thumbs down that's uh that's two danger probe was a chaotic mess that i could barely follow and even as i looked for the comedy in it and you know i wasn't completely void of it but it was uh it was it was too sloppy i'm also danger probe it swept the bad which is a shame because there were good stuff in it but it was just so these guys wanted to get done that night or something it just didn't work but there was good stuff in there. What was the uh, the best of the night, guys? That's tough for me, to be honest. I feel like this whole episode, the writing's kind of all over the place. Nothing is super tight. The <laughs> car exhaust ad, it was quick. It was tight. It had a cup, two good laughs, one great laugh at the end with Gilda <laughs> up in exhaust. I think as far as like a just a well-executed, didn't overstay its welcome, had a good time sketch. That's what I'm going to have to go with. Dude, two for two. And that was my favorite part of the night when Gilda was down by the exhaust pipe. That was my laugh of the night. And I love when it's just quick, silly, in, out. Uh, when it's done right, you can't beat it. Well, gentlemen, it's another three. Um, I was close. Woo-hoo! I was close in a few bits there, but uh, I definitely went with that one. Uh, auto scent, internal combustion, engine deodorizer biggest laughs uh i really enjoyed you know i gotta say i enjoyed the monologue and i liked a lot of elements to a few sketches but that in auto scent internal combustion engine deodorizer it was the only thing that was all together top to bottom perfect who's your star of the night fellas oh that's tough um i feel like dan did the most work for sure but i don't know if all of it was good (laughs) So I might have to go with Jane. She killed it uh, in the nerd sketches, the mom. She was great in the, the car deodorizer. She was carried all of Weekend Update. She was really into being a backup singer in the opening. I, I think she's going to take it for me this, this night. Uh, in a rare uh, move for Matthew, I'm going to give it to Belushi. I really liked him with Koch in the monologue. I respected his Lennon just enough to look away and think it was him. Um, and I, uh, you know, he he got through that uh, that Buddhist business okay. 
I, I don't know. There, there was just a, a little something more about it. And then when he came back at the Olympia too, uh, there was, he, he was, he was trying to do a little, he was trying to do something. Uh, and it was, I think, a uh, a good weekend for him, you know, with good performances without being uh, obnoxious or samurai about them. Yeah, and uh, that is the second time in the history of this show that you have given it to Belushi. Only the second. I went with Aykroyd. Now that he's off the desk, he has time to do lots of stuff. Felt like he was in everything tonight again. Um, it was like a season one for Dan. And even when the sketches flopped a bit, he was still pretty good. You know, he was still good in them. Um, we got to see Tom Snyder. We got to see Jimmy Carter. His repairman was the best part of the nerd sketch. Uh, even Danger Probe, his delivery was great. He was a good announcer at the beginning. Can't go wrong with Jane or Belushi, though. Overall, despite picking Aykroyd, I was impressed with a lot of what we got to see from the cast today. Belushi, in particular, was strong in a lot of what he did. And I didn't expect him to be so present with his success in Animal House and, and other matters we've talked about. Update has improved greatly. A few favorites were back. I know Matt mentioned this, but we didn't see it. There wasn't so much, maybe at the first half, but there wasn't so much returning stuff that we were overwhelmed with it. Problem is, there was a lot of clunk here tonight. There seemed to be people missing cues, and then a few times there was obvious sort of a panic look towards a cue card to get them back in line. The lack of a host, a good comic host or any host in general, was really uh, obvious. Like last year, they seemed to sort of episode-wise, not the intro itself, but the whole episode seemed more like a let's sidle into the new season more than let's kick open the door with the big kickoff and, and have this giant gala for the opening night beyond actually the name recognition of the host. Um, I saw some sketches here I've been waiting to see again on this time around, and, and, and sadly, it, they didn't hit as hard as they have. And I am someone who can watch things a few times and still enjoy it. All in all, though, I was mildly disappointed with this. Not angry like I was last year with Steve Martin's uh, season three beginning, but not really happy like I was with season two's Lily Tomlin. All things considered, I gave this one a six out of ten. Yeah, this whole episode felt like quite a mess. <laughs> the, I don't know if it was the writing or the execution of what was written that didn't get delivered properly, but it, it feels real janky, uh, but in kind of a good way in some parts, like that the energy is really there and the performances are like everyone's really like giving her, but they're not really getting it all the time. It's, it's a weird episode. I feel like if I was still in my early 20s and I had just come home from a bar and I had a buzz on and I was watching this and I was in the same headspace as maybe some of the performers are, I'd probably enjoy it a little more because there is a sort of hectic, chaotic messiness to it. But uh, without the host and and without like a little more structure, it, it does fall a little flat with like a critical look, you know? Not the best executed, but enjoyable in its own right. But uh, I'm with you there as a, a six feels about right to me. I was pretty excited for the show. I have to take into account that maybe my expectations are really high. It's the season premiere. It's the Rolling Stones, you know, like uh, if I'm if I'm watching the 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 old Dumont back in August in 78, I'm, I'm getting pumped for this I'm point <laughs> in television. And uh, then it comes on and it's, you know, I get the, okay, you know, I'll give you the cold open, even if you be ceremonial and welcome me back. And then, okay, we got uh, the mayor. Animal House was a big hit. The mayor, that's cool. Where are the Rolling Stones? You get Mick and Tomorrow. <laughs> he was so baked, which was fine. Dan was good. The musical performance, I liked how off the rails it was. The show wasn't funny. Uh, I like Saturday Night Live uh, when it's funny and it wasn't super funny. And I'm not the hugest fan of the Rolling Stones. I didn't love the song selection. I wanted to hear Miss You, but whatever. Fuck me. I, I, I'm not booking the show. But it wasn't funny enough for me. Guys, the number of the beast. Six, six, six. <laughs> no, we're, we're, all in, uh, we're all in tune. And, and in a perfect sense, Matt, 1.5 away from our six is a 7.5, which is exactly what the IMDb gave it as of yesterday. So, uh, yeah, we're right on track. 
<laughs> no this, sympathy for the devil this evening. No, or maybe that's maybe it is sympathy. I don't know. We might have been too generous based on our comments. I'll have to re-listen. That's um, an interesting point. Yeah, I never thought of that. Maybe maybe because of my hype that I, I was actually too forgiving of an otherwise episode that didn't really make me laugh. No, I smiled a lot, but I smile at greeting cards, you know. <laughs> I, I had three really good laughs through this whole episode and that's about it which is not enough for an hour of comedy. uh this episode finished <laughs> fifth, fifth for the season that's the imdb's choice i think it might be affected a little bit by who the hosts were but then again some people might have enjoyed this this does have some memorable sketches in it so yeah mark thank you very much for joining us to ring in season four Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks again, Mark. Matt, do you know who our uh, host and musical guests are next week? Did I hear correctly during the credits that it was Fred Willard and Devo? It is Fred Willard and Devo. What the fuck? That's like my fever dream Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I am very excited. Very good. It's a... Uh, I've watched it already. It's an interesting one. It's exactly what you'd expect from Fred Willard and Devo. I can't wait. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back in about a week with Fred Willard and Devo. But until then, we'll be joining a selection committee to find a new pope here in SN Health.